What is going on, people? Welcome back to another episode of the Uncensored Critic Podcast for another special episode. Thank you for joining me once more. And today, it is my great privilege and pleasure to say that my guest today is the wonderful Mike Gibson, another member of the GSA family. And Mike is an extraordinary actor who I've just had the recent pleasure of working with actually here in Guildford on a short film called Path to Ecstasy, which is out later in the year. Uh, Mike is someone who needs no introduction, but I will give him one anyway. He is an Olivier award-winning actor for his original portrayal in, in Hamilton for King George III. He's also been nominated for Olivier and a What's On Stage Awards for Take Flight and Our House. For television, he has appeared on Father Brown, The Last Kingdom, The Alienist, Trauma, A Discovery of Witches, Estuary, No Return, and the most recent series of The Essex Serpent, now streaming on Apple TV. For film, he has appeared on Our House, Cemetery Junction, The Darkest Day, Les Miserables with Tom Hooper, The Fifth Estate, Beauty and the Beast, Star Wars, The Last Jedi, 1917 with Sam Mendes, Last Night in Soho, and Path to Ecstasy. In theatre, again, uh, again with Sam Mendes, in, in the London Palladium production of Oliver, Bugsy Malone, Our House, A Chorus Line, Timothy of Athens, and Midsummer Night's Dream at, the, at Shakespeare's Globe, Roots at the Donmar, and of course Hamilton in King George III, which is the original company of Hamilton, written by Lin-Manuel Miranda in London. And that is just a sample of the incredible CV that this man has. And it's a genuine pleasure to be welcoming onto the podcast today. So, Mike, how are you, sir? I'm okay, mate. How are you? Yeah, very good. Very good. Thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate you Thanks coming. for the introduction. That's very nice. It's nice to be here and to... to talk talk showbiz with you for a little bit <laughs> yeah absolutely i can't wait to hear your stories so to begin at the beginning so uh where did it all start for you where did the inspiration to be an actor come from um so i'm originally from hull in east yorkshire um my my mum's sister was was involved in the business um although i didn't live anywhere near her she lived sort of down in cambridgeshire um my mum's younger sister, she was actually in Starlight Express when, wow. when I was, when she, in the early 80s, went to dance college and, and ended up doing Starlight Express. And that was kind of the main job that she did, kind of one of the only jobs she did. So I always remember sort of going to see that when I was a tiny little boy, you know, like five years old. I have this vague memory of sitting in a dark auditorium and watching people on roller skates as whipped zip past me at the Apollo Victoria which is now of course where Wicked's on mm. um, but not that that really inspired me it was just always sort of somewhere in in the atmosphere of my world was like that my auntie had been in Starlight Express and then my mum was was a was a very keen amdrama if you like up in Hull um, my parents were separated my dad but I saw my dad all the time but he my dad was a local DJ up in Hull like when I say local DJ he was a presenter on local radio up north in in Hull and East Yorkshire for BBC Radio Humberside and Viking Radio so there was an element of him sort of performing if you like but using his voice and and doing a bit of this what you're doing really um interviewing people and stuff um and my mum was a keen am drummer and, and had been in you know a fair few of the of the canon of the classic musicals over her time being involved with Amdram, you know, the Camelots and the South Pacifics and the Olivers and the, you know, all the kind of Werner and Lowe's and Rodgers and Hammerstein musicals that the Amdrams were doing at the time. So that was always sort of in my world as well, that my mum would go off to rehearsals as it was. 
when I was a little boy. And then when I got to, and I was a very keen footballer. That was my thing. I was into sport. I was always out on my bike. I was always playing football. I played football for my local school team, for my for my local Sunday league team. I was the captain of my, so, you know, that was my thing. I played football, mm. played it every break, every break time. Certainly, you know, wasn't like a, the kid that played music or, you know, um, but I enjoyed singing and showing off, if you like, when I was a kid, because my dad always used to sort of put mixtapes together mm. um, for us because he worked in a in a radio station where they had like access to all the best music out there, current music, pop music. So he'd always put mixtapes. You're talking like audio cassette tapes. I remember. The day. Um, so I'd always have the latest songs of me and my brother always singing along to, you know, Michael Jackson or whoever it was. And. And yeah, we just, my mum, when I got to about being about, I think I was about 13, my mum was kind of not in the show, but still involved with it. A lot of her friends were still involved in this, in this local amateur dramatic society um, who are now known as Hessel Theatre Company. They were called Hessel Operatic and Dramatic Society when I was younger. Mm. And they were doing a production of Oliver, um, which every year they do a show at the whole new theatre, which is a big 1500 seater, you know, receiving touring house. And I mean, recently they've 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 actually refurbished the whole building and given it a massive fly tower so it can receive the the big shows coming to Hull now. You know, the the Les Mises and the Wickeds and the Jersey Boys all go there regularly, which is didn't used to happen when when I was in Hull. And yeah, so basically, long story short, I ended up me and my brother ended up being in this production of Oliver at the London at, at the not the London Palladium. I'll get to that <laughs> at the whole new, new theatre. Um, I played at the Artful Dodger, my brother played Oliver, and we just got bitten by the bug, as it were. You know, we we had such an incredible time with all these other kids. And I think there's a lot to be said for, I really, in hindsight, I really noticed how things just, it was just different. Obviously, I enjoyed myself, like in the same way that I enjoyed myself playing football, but I found, and I don't know if I've ever really articulated this, but I think I found the people a lot easier to get on with mm. football. I I've never been particularly competitive. I, 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 I and, and I'll talk about that later. Maybe I'm ambitious, but I'm not competitive. And I think that side of it being in the football world, in the sporting world, I used to get really, I, I couldn't be doing with all the drama that went with it. The, the kind of upset if we lost and the, and the pressure that we were all under from the dads and the, you know, whereas, joining dramatics and stuff like that being surrounded by other kids and it just being fun and and obviously I enjoyed the element of you know the the acting and playing finding you know the 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 attention I got I suppose from 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 showing off in a kind of controlled way rather than just doing it in my living room and showing Mm. people I could you know my I remember playing Dodger and being really proud that I could do like this Cockney accent because my mum was a southerner so I could do it and I remember th- people saying to me you can really do a good accent so that gave me confidence to know that I've got a good ear for accents I suppose so so anyway so I finished that production of Oliver and just missed it terribly once it had finished I suddenly was surrounded by all these kids that were my new best friends and and there were girls around as well whereas football there was no girls and I was maybe getting a bit of attention from you know the girls and stuff so that was cool and it wasn't school so there wasn't the kind of there wasn't the kind of um you know the pressures of kind of 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 um what's the word I'm looking for when you're in a school 
society you know and, and you're kind of put into a pigeonhole of oh you're you're a geek or you're a you're into you're a clever kid or you're a sporty mm. kid or you you know there was none of that there was no judge there was no judgments about who we were in this amdram world so i just loved it and then finished this production i think we did another production again for the kids because this group of kids that had been in oliver the, the 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 amdram group were like these kids are great let's do something else for them so we did like a kids production of joseph and I played Joseph in that and just had a great time again for the summer. Amazing. And then with, within a couple of months, by pure coincidence, I suppose, the Oliver was being remounted in the West End at the London Palladium, which Sam Mendes was directing. Um, and long story short, me and my brother went down to the auditions for an experience, a day mm -hmm. out. It was in the Sunday supplement press that they were going to audition kids nationally. And my mum and my mum's friend who pushed my mum to take us down, my mum's friend, Linda Burgess, who I kind of accredit with the reason why we ended up going down to this audition in London. Mm. We, we went down and we both got cast in this production of Oliver at the Palladium. And I suppose that's when it really changed everything. Yeah. Was being in this massive multi-million pound production that was directed by Sam Mendes. And I must correct you that I'd say I worked with Sam Mendes when I did Oliver, but I didn't really work with him when I was... <laughs> that age but it's on my cv and since i've since worked with him that came up in the meeting actually that i and he and i said oh it's um it's on my cv that i've worked with you before but we haven't and he went oh it's fine you can leave it on yeah i'm i'm telling you you can leave it so i'm allowed officially to leave it on my cv okay um, so yeah so i was in this production of oliver and then you know being in this west end production with these incredible professional musical theater performers and and, and it also sort of happened at a time when I suppose my voice was breaking and I was sort of starting to become more confident with my with my adult sound that I was making with my voice from a singing point of view and left that production with these kind of incredible West End voices in my head and thinking that's what I want to be like and that's when I really started to sort of work on my singing voice and then I joined the National Youth Music Theatre well auditioned for and was accepted into the National Youth Music Theatre and, and ended up doing that for the next sort of how old was I 14 until I was 19 and did three or four productions with them which was which was just incredible and again just reinforcing that sense of being surrounded by like-minded people my tribe if you like mm. and those kids that were in that production with me have gone on to be the people that have become either my best friends or I've worked with them again since or you know we've all gone on in some capacity to work within the industry it's a couple that haven't but you know they're still connected within our friendships um, but most people have, you know, whether they've become West End stars or agents or producers or whatever it is. Mm. So and then and then you find me sort of 18 years old and thinking, what am I going to do with my life? And of course, I wanted to be an actor and be in musicals, particularly something like Les Mis. And at the time, Les Mis had been on for about 12 years at the time. And it's got it's been on for 30 odd years now. Um, and I wanted to be in Les Mis. And I was like, well, where do I go to drama school? And of course, you look, you go and see all these shows and at the time, the drama school that kept coming up in all the programmes was Guildford School of Acting for musical theatre. So I, I auditioned for GSA and, you know, luckily was accepted and went there for three years. And I graduated in 2002. And on graduating from, from, from um, GSA in sort of this sort of time in the year, it was sort of April, May, you know, when, when I was auditioning for stuff in my third year, I was very lucky I got... I, on the same day that I was offered Our House, which was the, my big first job, big break, if you like, I was offered Les Mis as well. Mm. And obviously I said no to Les Mis because 
it was a, I was offered one of the students and and um, and I was offered luckily the the lead role in this brand new musical called Our House, which has gone on to be one of the sort of favourite shows that people do around the country. It's amazing. Yeah. Subsequent productions of it, whether it's amateur dramatics or other touring productions or regional productions of it. So I was I played Joe Casey in the original production of that, and and then you know then was sort of put in the position of like, well, where do I go from here? Having sort of played the lead in this big musical. Um, and I've sort of managed to kind of carve this career out for myself where I've, I've been able to make decisions about what I want to do. You know, of course I take the work, but I've been able to sort of go, well, I, I want to do musical theatre. That's what I love is musical theatre. That's what makes me breathe. But I've, I've, I've managed to sort of put this career together, which is is a sort of straight actor's career. I've worked at the RSC, I've worked at the Globe, I've worked at the Donmar Warehouse, I've worked at the Royal Exchange for in terms of theatre and straight plays. You know, I've done my Shakespeare's, I've done my Chaucer, I've done my Arnold Wesker naturalistic kitchen sink dramas, and then I've done my musicals at, at the at the Chocolate Factory and and things like Hamilton, and I've worked with Stephen Sondheim and. And I, I, that's sort of what I love to do. But then also I've managed to carve this career of being a bit of a jobbing screen actor as well over the years. And and um, and here I am sort of just ticking along, really. You know, I do a bit of everything now. I, I pride myself on that, that I I write, I, I've directed, I've, um, I do voiceovers, I do radio plays. I've worked for the BBC a lot recently doing, you know, um, I do a BBC radio drama stuff quite regularly. I'm one of their actors that they call on, which is lovely to be go and do a bit of that every now and again. And I do nice TVs and nice sort of high profile Hollywood stuff as well. So yeah, things are things are good. And I'm sort of a jobbing character actor who has to sort of do what I always wanted to do. I'm still doing the same as what I did when I was 14. I still like the fact that I get to do accents and, you know, I, I get to be surrounded by people that are, like-minded and that I can have fun with so I hope that kind of is in a nutshell how that, it all started and where we're at now no that's, that's amazing mate honestly it's so so great to hear your journey and everything and how I've, I've always fascinated with with actors beginning when do any sort of creatives beginning in this industry because it's such a I thought I was talking to someone the other day about uh this movement well our movement director on the show that we're doing here was talking about how she's fascinated by the beginning like how like how do actors want to become actors you know you've articulated your journey you know perfectly just now and it's just all about the it's the I, I found it was the freedom I found it was like you had the opportunity to speak now and to tell you know your truth even though it's a character's truth but you have that right and it's the thrill afterwards of that oh my god that was just I can't describe it it's that thrill or that that goosebump feeling or that fire in your heart and you think oh my god this is this is amazing like you feel free in a way, which is fantastic. Um, you mentioned there that you worked with, sadly, like the, the late Stephen Sondheim. I mean, that, that must have been, that must have been incredible. How was that experience? Yeah, so I, I did, I've worked at the, the Many a Chocolate Factory a couple of times. I did a musical called Take Flight, um, which was in about 2007, about 15 years ago now. It was this new musical written by Maltney and Shire who are the guys that wrote Baby and Closer Than Ever and Starting Here, Starting Now, you know, they were, and, and Big, the musical. And and uh, David Shire also wrote a lot of film music as well. So they were, and Richard Maltby wrote the lyrics, some of the lyrics to Miss Saigon. And, you know, they're very successful 
American sort of songwriting duo in the musical writing songwriting duo yeah. in the sort of 80s and 90s. And I did this new musical called Take Flight, which was about the pioneers of aviation. And the book was written by uh, John Wideman, who is the guy that wrote the book to Assassins mm. and um, Pacific Overtures. And and then the third one that he wrote with Stephen was a musical called Roadshow, which was the show that I did, at, what I worked with Stephen on, again at the Many Air Chocolate Factory about five years after I did the Take Flight production. Take Flight was fun. It was it was a, it was a sweet little show. It it was about Charles Lindbergh and the Wright brothers and other pioneers of aviation. It was kind of this mashup of their journeys and all what they were all about passion of trying to make something fly. And, and mm. it was flawed. It wasn't great, but it, I had fun on it. Anyway, mm -hmm. five years later, Dave Babani rings me, who's the guy that runs the chocolate factory and says, I, we're doing Roadshow, which was, I'd heard about it. It was this new musical that, I say new musical, this musical that Stephen Sondheim had been working on for 40 years. Originally, it was called Wise Guys, mm. which Sam Mendes was going to do at one point. He'd done workshops of it in the 90s. And then it, and then it um, became a bigger musical, and they did it at the Lincoln Center in Washington. It was called Bounce, and it was directed by Hal Prince. And then it didn't really work. And then John... Um... Oh, God, I've forgotten his name. <laughs> <laughs> It'll come to me. The director of my show, what's his name? I'm gonna to have to find out who directed it now. I've yeah, gone. I've gone completely. Let's see what, what's, what's famous theatre director. I'm googling it. This is really embarrassing. I've got. No, it's fine. John, on. It. you got me thinking now as well. John, uh, uh, it'll come to me in a second. Perhaps. Who's a famous director called John? <laughs> Bear with, bear with, bear with. I'm gonna get. I'm gonna get it. All right. Google is your friend. John Doyle. There you go. John Doyle. I went completely blank then because I said John Wyden. John Doyle, who is a... So it was directed by um, John Doyle, Doyle, who is... John Doyle is a Tony Award winning British director um, who directed an incredible production of um, Sweeney Todd, actor musician that went to Broadway from the Watermill mm. Theatre in Newbury and ended up winning all the Tonys few years previously and he'd got hold of this production of bounce and basically decided that he wanted to fix it for Stephen and john mm. and turned it into a very small chamber piece that would they did at the public theater and called it roadshow it was the same story essentially but just a lot smaller and you know economic in the way that it in the way that it functioned as a musical mm. um so we essentially sort of revived that production but did a version of it in the uk that was new it was John Doyle directing it again. It had the same kind of um, motivation behind what made the production tick, but it was a diff but it was a new version of it with different actors in a diff completely different space. Because the Chocolate Factory is a is a kind of a, a TARDIS in terms of what they can do with it. It can change into all different into all different sort of spaces for for the theatre. So I ended up being in this production of Roadshow, which John Wideman wrote the book, who I'd worked with before, who's become a really sort of close mate really um and Stephen was was around as well and um he wasn't really around a lot he kind of it, what's incredible about Stephen is that if he trusts people he kind of lets you get on with it mm. um 
you know, he he doesn't. I've worked with writers, and they're 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 in the room, and they're making changes, and they're 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 sometimes becoming a bit problematic for the creatives because creatives can't work with them being around and constantly faffing around with what the piece is. Whereas Stephen kind of just left us to it, and he and he was always planning on coming over, and he did. He came over, and he actually only watched the dress rehearsal, mm. and we had dinner with him that night as well, and. He was just lovely. I mean, yeah. he was, you know, I think he was known to be quite a difficult man at times. And John Doyle warned us that if he doesn't like it, he, he may tell you. And he said, that's my job as, as your director to kind of protect you from that. I'm proud of what this show. And anyway, he didn't do that. He, he, he loved it. And yeah. we, he was just full of admiration for the show and the production and, and said that it was the definitive production of it and that he was really happy with it. And, um, yeah, I, I had an incredible time with him. And, and also, you know, he, he changed a couple of lyrics to the show whilst we were in it. Like he watched the show and made a couple of notes and he gave me a lyric change to a song which went into the show. So I, I sort of prided myself on the fact that one, that was the production where I, I was the first person to ever sing a Sondheim lyric. So that was cool. Um, so yeah, that was amazing. Um, and, and I'm sort of, it's, it's, it's the show that I'm probably most proud of as well, because I really got to do everything that I wanted to do in terms of why I went to drama school and stuff, you know, acting, singing and, and being part of a piece of storytelling. And yeah, it was amazing. It was amazing. Wow. Stephen's on that. What a guy. May he rest in peace. And yeah, just the fact that you got to work with him and just have dinner with him as well, it's just, I mean, it's just a titan of, of the industry, you know. Yeah, that's it was amazing. It was amazing so that we were having dinner with him. Yeah, it was lovely. Yeah, I've been, I've been re-listening to Sweeney Todd recently and uh, the, the Michael Ball and Imelda Staunton version, the, the album they released, and it's just like, wow. Mm. But he came over for that as well. I remember him saying that. Yeah, he was always, he was usually around. And yeah, my wife's worked with him twice. Um, my wife, Caroline, who also went to GSA, before wow. me um she she did into the woods at the donmar with him mm. and funny thing happened on the way to the national oh, funny funny thing happened on the way to the national funny thing happened on the way to the forum at the national but no. a funny thing did happen on the way to the yeah. no um yeah so she, yeah, did that, yeah. she did that and got to work with him as well so yeah we were we we're both a bit geeked out when it came to Stephen Sondheim fantastic fantastic stuff um you touched on your experience of drama school in a way because um what, what was your journey of drama school like? Because I found that it's all about, yeah, it's about discovering, becoming better as an actor and discovering who you are. But uh, for me, it's like, it's okay to throw yourself into things. And if it doesn't work, it's not a problem. You know, don't beat yourself up about stuff. You know, it, it, this is part of the journey. Yeah, drama school's interesting. And it's, you know, interesting is a general general word to use. But I'm in a position now where, you know, 20 years ago for me now, drama school, and I look back on it now as a very brief period in my in my journey as an actor mm. and I think at the time and I admit you know I was I was very guilty of this um drama school becomes this kind of center of your universe when you're in the middle of it mm. and it is a very important thing but it I, I feel like and this is me maybe giving you or whoever is listening advice that drama school is just drama school it's not what defines who you are as an actor mm. um you know i i i'm proud that i went to gsa i'm proud that i did the musical theater course but that course isn't what 
has taught me how to do what I do these you know it if, if the main thing it taught me how to do and the thing it may be different now because 20 years later there's different teachers and different ethoses behind courses whatever different building was to learn to work with a group of people in an ensemble for for a long period of time mm. you know because effectively you're an ensemble that have been assembled that are on a course that are paying money but are or what however you're funding yourself but effectively you're having to you occasionally go to the odd private class where you go to a singing lesson or Alexander technique or whatever it is, you know, or a monologue class or what, but effectively you're in a, you're in a rehearsal environment where even if you're doing TV and film, you're, you're working with your fellow ensemble members. And I think that's what I learned more than anything was that because eventually you leave and you move on. And most of the people you don't, some people you never see again mm. and most people you don't really ever see again and you might have a couple of friends that you keep in touch with and it's that thing of you've then got to go into another environment with another group if you're lucky enough to go out and get lots of work mm. you have to that has to re you have to recreate that every time and work out how you slot into that world and obviously when you're at drama school you know i think there's the there's the the caveat that goes with it that you're a student and that you can there's the parties and the the, the social life and the, the 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 you know the relationships that that form between various friendships or you know um other sorts of relationships and that can get muddled up with the course i think and i think you know that's what what I look back on now and I, I don't even really think about that part of it anymore mm. that that relationship that I had with the people on my course some of them are my mates now but I look back at it and, and I see it as a it it was kind of a means to an end in a way I had to go through this three years of my life not go through it but I wanted to be there but just to you know I I touched on the first year I look back and I go right storytelling Greeks, Shakespeare. <laughs> we touched on all that. We did a bit of telly. We did a bit of Alexander. I did singing lessons every week, body conditioning, which was some sort of dance class or ballet or, you know. And then once you got into the second year, you were kind of working on productions. That was your, you know, it was whether, even if, even if it wasn't a public performance, you know, we did a big book musical project, which, which was, I think it was Camelot that we did. So we, you really sort of get into a rehearsal environment and pull the show to pieces and you, you erect the scenes and, and do a presentation and things like that. And then you're in your third, your second, end of second year production, which was Seven Brides, Seven Brothers in my case. And, and that was when things really started to cook when I was at college, when, when we got into the, the productions. And, you know, it, it, it kind of put into perspective the... The kind of, you know, this is, and this may sound controversial for me to say this, but it puts into perspective who's, who's got it about them to, to, to really go places with what they're capable of doing. Yeah. And, you know, and some people are unlucky that they don't get cast as parts and some people are lucky. But then there are people who get cast. I mean, in hindsight as well, there were people who got cast a lot in my, in my third year or whatever, and, and they're not working now. 
mm. you know, and that's not necessarily because they're not talented enough. It's because they just didn't have the, the right, um, they didn't have the drive. They didn't have the right attitude to go into the business and see it as a business. So what was my experience like to go back to your question? Mm-hmm. It was tough. I found it hard because I was up against all those things that we're talking about now, mm. you know, find, I, I felt under pressure from my colleagues, my peers in, in my year. I, I found it very nerve wracking getting up in front of the rest of my year and being judged by a teacher in front of people and told that's not good. That's good. That's brilliant. That's not good. The yeah. pressure of all that. I found that really hard. Yeah. The, the most nervous I've ever been, ever been, was doing my big third year production. I was absolutely cacking myself about doing this. Th- I mean, I've been nervous since, don't get me wrong. Yeah. You know, maybe more nervous, but I'm just better at dealing with it these days. Mm. And I think it was the first time that, you know, <clears throat> to go back to talking about, you know, my days in Amdram and the National Youth Music Theatre and being an Oliver in London, the fun element element of it was always so much more prominent then. Mm. And then when you get to drama school, the kind of world comes crashing down on you potentially because the, the reality of what this business is potentially going to be for you kind of starts to set in. And when you've got to get up and do your third year production and, and the stakes are there, that you're not just doing it for your friends and your family you're doing it for an agent or a or an assessment mm. that goes with it and it just really so i found that really hard to, to 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 deal with at the time um so my drama school experience was was tough i found it tough but i and i also struggled with at first the kind of discipline of it mm. You know, I've never been particularly academic and I've never been particularly... Yeah, I've never been particularly committed to (coughs) a school environment. Mm. You know, and I don't know if that's got anything to do with my upbringing or whatever, but academia and and the importance of of school was never really a massive deal in my household, in my upbringing. It was never like, right, you've got three hours now go upstairs and sit and revise. That was never a thing. Mm. Or the pressure was never on me to succeed with my GCSEs or my A-levels or whatever it was that I was doing at the time. So I went into drama school with a bit of a kind of naivety slash arrogance about that. And I found that hard. The idea that after the icing of the the kind of icing on the cake of kind of being at drama school that kind of blown off mm. after a couple of months the idea of getting up every morning at 8 30 being in class for you know literally getting out of bed and running to class and being late and getting in trouble started to become quite tough for me and i and i became a bit of a rebel i suppose in my first year especially i was that kid who was who was I was bollocked by the head of our course. He, you know, Jerry Tebbett, who's still at GSA, will tell the famous story of getting me into the staff room and making me sit down on the floor with my legs crossed in front of all the other staff 
He said, you're acting like a child, so I'm going to treat you like a child. Wow. And he, he says, I want you to sit on the floor with your legs crossed. And I went, okay. And he says, now, I'm going to talk to you like a child. If you are late for one more class, you are gone. Do you understand? Yes. And I said, yes. He went, go to class and show up on time. And obviously it worked and that was that. And, you know, Jerry's become a, a mate of mine now, you know, and we tell that story now when, when we, we laugh about it now, but, but he said, you needed a bollocking. He said, you needed to be told off. You were taking the piss and nobody else was going to do it. And I needed to show you that if you, and I meant it, if you weren't going to show up, I was going to kick you out. You were too talented to not take it seriously. Do you see yeah. what I mean? Yeah. And he, and he saw that in me, you know, and lo and behold, you know, I ended up getting nice parts in, in stuff and, and, you know, and then my, and even in my showcase, I mean, I didn't really even do anything particularly showy in my showcase, but I was, I was given the, the opportunity to do what I wanted to do to move on to the next stage of my career in life. So that was kind of my experience at GSA really. Um, the one thing I will say was that I was very, it was an opportunity for me to really sort of get into the world of musical theatre and, and explore what musical theatre could be. Um, because we were just doing musicals, 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 musicals all the time. Um, and that's interesting now, because I look back on that and I don't really see that as my world now. I mean, I love musicals and I'll always listen to me. If you, if you see me walking down the street with headphones on, I'm listening to a musical. I'm never listening. I'm rarely listening to rock and pop music or whatever. Sometimes I am, but most of the time I'm listening to a new musical. Nice. Right. But, but, but I look back on that time of, that was my world. All I wanted to do was be in Les Mis and Miss Saigon. And I would have been, if you'd have told me I'd have been in Les Mis for three or four years and then gone into Miss Saigon. And then I would have been like, yeah, that's going to be my life. And it hasn't ended up being like that at all. My life has become relatively successful jobbing actor's career. And that only kind of started to happen for me after I left. Yeah. And that was because I made a choice to to want to become an actor like that and make decisions about what I want to do next and now you know I look I look at other other actors and and my career and I just think you're only as good as your last audition you're only as good as your I have to, I have to be and this is probably going back to you know the fact that Jerry Tebbett bollocked me and told me that I had to take it seriously yeah. was that I have to take this job very seriously. If, if I get a call from my agent and I, and I've got a, a meeting, I've got material to prepare for a, for a meeting with some important people. I put the work in. Hmm. I don't wing it. I don't keep showing up late to the class. Like I used to, I, sit down and I make the time. And if I haven't got time to do it, I tell the person that the agent or whatever, I say, I'm really sorry, but I can't do this for you. I haven't got time. And I'm, and I take myself, I take the job very seriously. But I don't take myself too seriously, if that makes sense. Yeah. So that's kind of in relation to my experience at GSA. That's, that's what it was like for me. Mm. It was, it was tough, you know, 
you're suddenly put into this environment where there's a lot of very, usually a lot of very big characters around you and confident people and egos and insecurity. Oh yeah. And it can, it can create an environment that can become sometimes quite a hostile environment and competitive environment. And, you know, like I said, I look back on it now and it doesn't even cross my mind any of that now about GSA. It was just, I remember being in Shakespeare and the moment that Sheila Allen, who's now not with us, she passed away, when Shakespeare clicked for me, when she gave me the, she went, you've got it, you understand this, you know how this works. And that's why I got cast at the RSC because I knew I could go in there and make this language work because of what somebody took. I think about the time that Peter Roberts would say to me, you can really sing. We haven't had many boys like you recently who can act and sing like you can. And that was the confidence that I needed. You know, I remember the time that Jerry Tebbett sat me on the floor and made me pull my finger out. Um, I remember, I remember something about Alexander technique clicking and it about, and it freeing you, you know, this weird thing where you have to lay on your back and work out where your spine is. And what's this got to do with acting? But then connecting that thing with my body to being in the moment and going, Oh, I get it. Oh, I get it. And I still use that to today hmm. using line endings in, in classical theater, which was something that Sheila Allen used to bang on about. And people used to get really bored and take the piss out of her hmm. behind her back about, oh, she was going about line endings, but they didn't get it. And I got it. I understood that basically hit the end of the line, end of the line, as I'm talking to you, you know, if, I, if the word, if the line is, my name's Michael Gibson and I live in this house, I would go, my, my name is Michael Gibson and I live in this house. I'd go, my name is Michael Gibson and I live in this house. It's yeah. just a case of you hit, it's a technique and it works. And that clicked when I was at drama school, you know? Um, we did a little bit telly as well at one point. And I remember the teacher telling me, you, you've got something, you know what you're doing with your eyes. And that gave me the confidence, I suppose, to go on and do what I'm doing today. So yeah, so drama school was a good, was a good thing, but it was intense. Mm. Um, and then and then I stayed in Guildford for 12 years after I graduated. I didn't, even though I was working in London and wherever else, Stratford, touring the world, I, I stayed in Guildford and made a home there. Mm. So I kind of disassociated myself with the college um, and, and lived a life there, you know, got married, had a, had a child and became a, a resident, part of the community of, of, of the city of Guildford. And, and lived in Surrey. I, I've moved away since, and 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 um, yeah. So that was my GSA experience. It was a, it was a, it was it was intense, but cool. Wow, it's just is it, wow. I don't I have to say, but just a thank you so much for being so open and honest about that. That's that's wonderful to hear. And uh, you mentioned Peter Roberts as well. We had Peter Roberts for a little while last term for ensemble singing. That's, yeah. I love the man. He's, he's just a lovely guy. He would. The, the thing is with Peter Roberts, he's just so consistent in yeah. who he is, and he's just so encouraging, and obviously brilliant at doing what he does in terms of group singing and getting people to open their mouths and make a, a group sound so great. But he's also there's no bullshit with Peter Roberts. No, 
No, no. And, and he's not he's not nasty to people. He doesn't play God. No, no, no. He he he's just dead. People respect him, whether they're good at singing or not, you know. Hmm. And that's what is so brilliant about him. And, and and obviously he's kind of a, a you know what's the word I'm looking for? He's he's just a he's he's like a monument within GSA now. You know, he's just there. He's like Ricketts, you know, he's like he's up, he's up there with Ian Ricketts as well in terms of mm. stature of the school. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I said to him once because it's always been a thing for me. I don't know how pianists do it. You know, they can just get some sheet music and just know exactly what to do, and I'm just like they can just read it and play it. And I said to Peter, oh, I don't know how you do that, Peter. Seriously, how how can you do that? And his exact words were, "Well, it's just because I'm so talented, darling." <laughs> and it, but he's also not. You know, and he'll admit it. Yeah. He's he knows his limits and he's not he's an incredible pianist, but there are things that there are some things that he oh it's too hard for me that. Like we did when we did Songs for a New World at GSA, which was the at the time was the brand new Jason Robert Brown musical that had never really been done in the UK. He was asked if he wanted to MD it and he said, No, it's too tricky for me. Wow. He knows his limits. Um he's always he's always been very um you know, he does what, and, I, and I, I'm not saying that in a way like, oh, he's not good enough. It's just that. So he knows. He, he's. I think he, I don't think he's the, he, academically, he's not the best pianist. Like he's not a particularly good sight reader is what I'm saying. Okay. You know, he can't, you can't just give him music and he could, you know, he's not like a cons. He didn't go to like the Royal Academy of Music and study classical, you know, concert pianist kind of thing. He's just a brilliant music. He's a he's a great pianist, but he's also a brilliant musical director. Mm. You know, amazing, amazing guy. And uh, I suppose that kind of brings me on to probably one of the biggest topics I'm going to talk to you today about um, your love of musicals and, of course, your your part in Hamilton, the original King George the Third. I mean, how was that journey for the? I think you said in uh, when we did um, Path to Ecstasy together in Guildford recently. You you said. Did you go to the casting director for that? You didn't, did you Did you write to the casting director? Yeah, yeah. So, so just to explain <clears throat> for anybody who's listening, so Path to Ecstasy, just to cover that, yeah, was, yeah. A short, was a short film that I got involved in with a young director that I'd worked with, that I'd met when I was working with Sam Mendes, actually. Um, and he contacted me and said, would I be interested in being a part of this short film that he was making? Um, and um, they needed some sporting artists or extras mm. for a big nightclub scene, which they were coincidentally shooting down in Guildford. And, um, and I says, oh, well, I may know the right people for you. So we ended up getting students from GSA to come and be on set and, and hang out and, and, and get to experience a day on a, on a working film set. And, I mean, it was a short film, but it was actually quite a big short film in yeah. terms of the amount of yeah, very impressive. Well, it wasn't just students making a film. It was, you know, there were proper mm-hmm. working people on set with proper cameras. And, you know, it was it was quite an exciting and, and long experience for you guys to sort of see how it all goes. And so that's how we met on Path to Ecstasy. Yeah. And I was obviously talking to you and the other guys that were there with you. And we had a bit of a chat and, you know, it turned into a bit of a Q&A about the world of the business and all that kind of thing. Yeah, it was great. Um, so yeah, so King George, obviously, Hamilton was 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 very much within my in my radar of like what 
was going on in the world of musical theatre and not necessarily because I was like I need to be in that show but just because I, I I'd started listening to it when it first sort of the album was released in like 2014 or something like that mm. I thought, this is cool and then just became within a week or two was like I wasn't listening to anything else it was like this is incredible this this piece of drama hip-hop rap musical theatre album is just blowing my mind and um, and even then I was like well that's a cool part for the king and then I've sort of worked out oh it's that guy Jonathan Groff who's the guy from Spring Awakening who's the guy that did the voice in Frozen and what a great song and and then the show was announced that it was coming to the West End and I didn't really even think about it I was like well they'll cast a name because it's Hamilton they can get who they want they'll get James Corden or Matt Lucas or somebody like that. And um, it sort of popped into my head. I was like, I'd like to be seen for that. And I remember talking to my agent about it and she was like, oh, and she'd seen it on Broadway. I hadn't seen it. I tried to see it in New York, like when it had just opened. I was in New York doing some press for some television thing that I was doing out there. And I was like, well, I'll go and see it when I'm there. And I, I simply couldn't get tickets. Like it was impossible to get. I, I, I tried every source I had. And I had sort of like John Weidman, for example, who was the guy that, wrote roadshow is really good mates with limo he was like i'll sort you out and even he was like i can't get you in <laughs> i tried ticket i tried, I joined the lottery queue i got in the yeah. returns queue. it was just there was no way i was going to get to this show so when it was announced it was coming to the west end my first feeling was like well i've got to go and see it i'll finally get to see it and i put this call into my agent and she knit like I, actually i was in her office and i remember when i said oh hamilton and she like literally nearly fell off her chair and was like, oh my God, this show, I saw it last month in New York. It blew my head up. It's incredible. Yes, yes, we should absolutely get you seen for King George. So that was kind of the beginning of it. But then I just took it upon myself to, you know, in the way that I sometimes am, very sort of um, proactive in the way that I work. Um, I wrote a letter to, a handwritten letter and an email because I have my sources to be able to contact him. Um, I wrote to Cameron McIntosh, who I knew was producing the show in the West End or facilitating it for the American producers. And, um, and I knew that it was his team that were going to be casting it, as it were. Um, and yeah, long story short, I got an audition through that process by Cameron sort of taking note of the fact that he thought it was a good idea too, because I played the factory foreman for him in, in Les Mis. And... Um, He'd seen me in Roadshow, um, and so he, I was certainly on his radar. And um, yeah, I got the job, and that was how I ended up being in Hamilton. And then I got the part, and I ended up having to wait around for about nine months and be out of work before I started the rehearsals. And then just it was just incredible to be in the rehearsal room of that show with that team. And even though we were effectively mounting another production of a show that had already been created i was getting to be in the room when decisions were made about how it was going to work in london and just like tweaks went into place and you know especially with my character you know they they did apart from where i had to stand on stage they kind of let me do my own thing with it mm. um and obviously it worked well because you know the show has, has continued to kind of do very well and you know the the show won lots of awards and they they gave me one as well which was amazing yeah and just to be in that show was was just amazing really to just there wasn't that it's like the way i describe it is you look at it and i can't fault it 
I can't, in terms of the production, mm. it's just perfect theatre, perfect storytelling. All the stuff that we do at drama school, the storytelling, the, the, the language stuff, the voice, it's just, it's, a, it's an amalgamation of all of that in one show. Mm. And then sprinkle it with pop culture and cool songs. Yeah. And that's one thing, but the direction the the production values the and it's a basically a black box set with some incredible lighting yeah. but the shapes that are made on stage every at every point that people are on stage the story is being told you know where you're meant to be have you seen it yeah i did yeah i saw it um a couple of years ago yeah right. it, just after it arrived in london yeah it's just blown away by it. i i had no idea what to expect i just you know, the hype was just incredible and hearing like everyone was going, everyone couldn't get a ticket, like you were saying, and just, I went along and I was like, okay. Did you know it before you saw it? Uh, no, no, I just, I just, I just knew the title. I just knew the show was called Hamilton. <laughs> that was it. But, um, but yeah, I went to see it. Sadly, I missed your, your king, unfortunately, but, uh, but the guy who did it was great, but I'm sure you did a, a supreme job and doing it and uh, i remember saying to you in in because we filmed parts of it, parts to ecstasy in um the casino nightclub in guildford if anyone who knows it i remember asking you so what was it like playing the king and you just very casually just went yeah it was all right <laughs> and i was like just okay <laughs> no, it, was, it was it was more than all right it was it was yeah it was cool i mean i got into a groove yeah. of just walking out and singing this song every night but mm. it was it was it was intense you know those yeah. nerves were there again. The nerves that I had when I was in Songs for a New World, but I had <laughs> 20 years of experience to be able to, 18 years of experience to be able to sort of control it um, and not run away like a frightened little boy. But no, it was amazing. And then to be in the show every night and to experience that kind of hype, as you say, yeah. that went with it in the auditorium and the reaction that we got and the excitement of, whoever it was coming to watch the show that night. And it was always somebody important or famous. You know, it's, it's kind of one of those jobs that you, that you kind of, you know, it's one of those jobs that you hope for in terms of the, I always remember there was this great actor who's now passed away, sadly called Tim Piggott Smith, mm. who played, you know, brilliant, brilliant stage actor, screen actor, who'd done loads of wonderful parts. And he did a production, this production called Enron, which started in the Royal, it started at the Royal Court and then at Chichester and then it transferred to Broadway. And it was about this play about this company, a true story about this company called Enron that kind of imploded. And it was a real sort of comment on the way that capitalism is flawed ultimately. And, and you know, an incredible play, an incredible production as well. And I'd seen him somewhere and he said, if I can get you a ticket, I'll get you in because it was completely sold out. And he said, because this is, I'd been to Chichester and seen something else and he was in the bar and he said, this production is one of those productions that come along once in a lifetime to be a part of. Yeah. And that's what Hamilton was like. He did actually get me a ticket in the end and I went to see it and it was incredible. Mm. But for him to be in it, I remember him, and I remember thinking that at the time when I was in Hamilton, this is what Tim said to me, is to be in this show at this time when everybody wants to come and see it. It was a big moment in my career because I was relatively established and jobbing actor, but you know, it just, it sort of, you know, 
as an actor, you want to create this shop window for yourself. And if, if your shop window is, is in Selfridges, then the chances are a lot of people are going to look in. Mm. Whereas if it's if your shop windows down some side alley in some random village in the middle of nowhere, do you know what I mean? And yeah, I felt like my shop window was was in Harrods. You know, at that point, everybody was there wanting You're to shop in that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was. That's the analogy there. Anyway, yeah, it was a great experience, and you know, I got to wear a crown and sing song and. It was interesting because I didn't really get to do any, I say I didn't really get to any acting, but I, I did, but I just had to perform a song. Yeah. I get to sort of look at anybody else. It was me in the audience. That was an experience. Yeah. Cause the, the King's numbers are just, it's, it's like a, a soliloquy in a way, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, no, it really is. It really is. <laughs> you know, I didn't get to look anybody else in the eye. And I had a couple of moments with the audience, which I got to play around with, you know, I, I really messed with the audience and you know the punchlines of the songs kill your friends and family and then I play around with the pauses every night and <laughs> and try not to milk it you know oh yeah keep and keep it truthful and keep him because what I wanted to do with King George which I think I did was not make him a caricature of a of a posh monarch which is kind of what I think it's done like in America from what I've seen and what I've heard is that, you know, and, and that's not because of the actors, that's because of the relationship the American audience have with, with, with King George when he comes out, is that it's a, it's a posh British guy. Yeah. Whereas as a British audience, we have a very different relationship with our monarchy. I mean, look at what we're about to do at the moment with the Jubilee and the respect the majority of the nation have for, for, our, for our monarch. Well, you know? And I wanted the audience to respect me and be frightened of me hmm. and also find me funny. But I didn't want them to find me funny because I was being funny. I wanted them to find me funny because of, because I was being the monarch. I was being the king, you know? And that's what I think was what I enjoyed most about it was being able to sort of play around with that and, and, and make him slightly psychotic <laughs> <laughs> did, you, did you have actually members of the royal family actually come and see you because anyone who is anyone has seen this show so. yeah we did um yeah prince harry came ah. um he came to him and megan they came twice actually they came one night just as a night out and nobody in the audience knew they were in we were told they were in because we we they were like you're gonna see security everywhere back because they came in through backstage and mm. like sat down just as the lights went up they were they were everybody was sat down they held the auditorium and then they they were they pulled up outside they got out the car there was three minutes of them sitting down the lights went up i mean it, and then the moment the show finished they were out and they held the auditorium. you know it was that it's that kind of thing and then they came again for the we did a big royal gala for a charity and they came and we met them and there was a there's quite a famous photo of me standing next to harry playing his great 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 grandfather and me and him chatting and he did actually say to me is the crown heavy um was it it, it wasn't actually but what i wanted to say to him is well you'll never know <laughs> <laughs> oh more more now actually more than ever so uh is it sadly he won't wear that crown and not even by legitimately uh, but what's um, Lin Manuel Miranda like to work with? Um, to be honest, I mean, 
I don't really know. I mean, I, I met him a few times, but he wasn't really, again, like Stephen Sondheim, he just, he trusted his, his team to just get on with it. And I think obviously at the time, his whole world was exploding in terms of his success. And mm. he was, he was, he was in the country. He was filming dark materials down in Cardiff. So he'd pop in every now and again. I didn't really get a chance to hang out with him or re- I had a few conversations with him, but you know, but it was always very sort of small talky or to do with that. Cause he was so busy with everything else. And he was always very complimentary and mm. pleasant. And, you know, he popped into my dressing room. I remember before the first preview and, Doing the but he was doing the rounds with the whole theatre, you know, and and hang out with him. Um, so yeah, I, he was. I didn't. Really, I certainly didn't really get to work with him as such. I mean, he was around again and did the odd tweak with the odd bit of dialogue, which didn't affect me. So he was around in the order. The, the main my main memory was that during tech, he was in the auditorium, kind of hanging out mm. with the team. And just on his laptop and just sort of I think he booked that week or a week or so just to be with us because he just likes being in the building. Um so yeah, he was he was lovely. I mean, obviously the guy's an incredibly successful guy with with genius stamped on his forehead. Yeah. Um, and, um yeah, yeah, it was it was cool. I mean, what was cool was to get to work with the creatives for me, mainly Thomas Kale, um Tommy Kale, who directed it. Mm. Is I think he's just an incredible person to be around as well as a director he's so bright and quick-witted and and funny and honest about what it is he's trying to do as a as a creative um and i really felt supported and and privileged to be working with him hmm. at that time um and alex lackamore who's the musical supervisor of hamilton who was around for most of the time taught us the show you know, to get to work with him and get to see the notes that he gave me from a musical theatre point of view, from a musical direction point of view, in terms of playing the comedy and in the song and keeping the momentum of the song moving. And, you know, that was a privilege to be around those guys. And just to see, you know, the, the machine of that show and how quickly it was put on mm. and, and how finessed it was so quickly. You know, and I would just sit in rehearsals and just even just as King George, just or Mike, Mike Gibson, just sitting in, in the, you know, at the front of the rehearsal room with everyone else, because I was never on stage. I'd get to sit and watch. It was like there was me. There'd be like the creatives. There'd be Tommy, Alex, somebody on the piano, the swings and me. The swings would be frantically writing notes and I'd just be sitting watching the run through. It was like I was getting my own private performance of Hamilton most days if I was in so I'd just I'd be in awe in 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 awe of these of these sequences of choreography and pure storytelling it was like watching a film there were moments of of close-up detail that you would see that I of course you never see when you, you if you haven't seen the show but oh my god that we're all meant to be looking at that one point on the stage and then suddenly the mute and it would all sync with the music. It would the 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 choreography would change and snap. You're in a wide shot mm. of a picture of an ensemble doing something completely. It was just so clever. Mm. That's what I remember about Hamilton. You know, mm. seeing that and seeing that collaboration between the creatives and how how much fun they were having and how brilliant they all were. And obviously Lynn was part of that. But I think 
at the point to go back to your question about what was he like to work with, his job was kind of done. Yeah. When we put it on in London, because he wasn't playing Hamilton, he wasn't in it, mm. and he'd written the show. So he kind of let everybody get on with it. And I think that's what makes a great writer of something like that is somebody like Stephen Sondheim is somebody mm. who's able to let their work go and trust their, their team. Yeah. And I mean, Tommy Cale and Lynn and Alex Lackamore, they're like a kind of three, three amigos, you know, they, they are going to, God knows what else they're going to do together. Because I mean, if Hamilton's only the beginning, I mean, Christ, you know, it's incredible because they've had, uh, Lynn's had dear Evan Hansen uh, come into town recently as well. Uh, the last couple of years and it's a show i've yet to see but i yeah and then that's um that's alex lackamore's done that who's the musical supervisor he oh, okay he did the musical supervision of that but like there's no coincidence that alex lackamore did that no. you know and the greatest showman and then tommy kale i just really fascinated to see what they all do next it's going to be really exciting Gonna be huge. It's gonna be huge. Um, I'm just curious to know actually, because you mentioned name is there and and uh, you were you working with Tom Hooper and stuff, but there was a, a specific quality about that film, which was you didn't go away and record an album before you before you started. You know, you actually had an earpiece in and you had a, the piano in your ear. Yeah, you could set the tempo and you could sort of mess around with the rhythm as much as you wanted. Um, how was that? How was that experience for you? Because similar to what you were just talking about with Hamilton. well, it was a mixture of it was a mixture of everything that I love doing. I felt, I've never felt so qualified as <laughs> I was to be because I was like, wow, this is like this is musical theatre, which I love. It's like being in a musical theatre rehearsal with a pianist kind of following me. I mean, within reason, we could book around with the tempo, you yeah, know, we'd sure. rehearse it around the piano, and then if we were filming it, it would be kind of set, but. There'd be moments that we decided where they'd follow me, etc. But then also for it to be filmed and me having this kind of knowledge of how that works and the technique that I have that goes with that, mm. you know, the, 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 the sounds like a wanky word, but the craft of working on stage or working on film is, you know, stagecraft or film craft. It's not really a phrase really, but there is a craft to working on film and understanding the levels at which you need to play it as an actor, you know, um, and and then to kind of marry that with the idea that there's music, live music playing in your ear and that you're singing mm. was, was again, I just felt really qualified to be there. I really enjoyed it and I'd love to do it. I'd love to do it again. Mm. And I don't know if it'll ever happen because it was complex. It was complex for the, for the world of musical theatre and sound from a technical point of view to clash. And it took a lot of patience with his, the sound team. I mean, Simon, who, who who did the sound, who was the sound recordist, who, who went on to win an Oscar for it, in fact. I've worked with him before, and he was incredibly patient mm. with that world and and, under, and 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 listened. And it was just, again, it was, again, it was just a, a kind of um, example in, in, in collaboration. And that's what I think when I'm working on something that's that's excellent, whether it's Hamilton or the film of Les Mis or Sondheim or what you're actually seeing is somebody's work, which could be the book or the mm. script or the music, then being handed over to a team of people who are collaborating brilliantly, top of their game, Again, that was the same like working with Sam Mendes on 1917. 
he was obviously steering the ship as it were but he was working with the best people he had roger deakins setting the camera up and a team of people that were brilliant and he had an incredible cast assembled and and he was just twiddling the knobs he was just collaborating with everybody you know yeah it was incredible to watch when somebody when people are that good at what they do and make it look so easy and actually they are working their ass off yeah that's what's incredible absolutely but i'm curious to know what's sam like as as a person as a creative as well as a human being sam mendes he's lovely i've only worked with him briefly i did i did um I mean, like I say, I admit I didn't work with him on Oliver when I was 14 because he directed the show and then wasn't around when I went into it. But um, it's on my CV. He said I can have it on there. So yes. um, I did 1917 with him and I did a couple of days with him on set and he was lovely. Mm. Yeah, and that was where I was like, wow, this is incredible to just observe the way that you run this incredibly massive movie. That's yeah. just, apart from the fact that there's so much money and budget, it's the way that they crafted this this whole convention that the camera would be one shot and it was all just so beautifully thought through it was like theater yeah like we were in a massive tech rehearsal for a film for but it was film it was incredible to watch and then i got to work with him briefly for a week on a reading of a new film that he's direct he's just directed it uh called empire of light and i did the reading for that with him and just sort of sat around a table and privileged to be in a room with him and he's written it as well and just to listen to him talk and to listen to to his kind of you know creative mind and just to see how first of all intelligent he is and connected to what he does and passionate about what he does and realistic about what he does was quite inspiring just to be in the room Mm. with him you know and he's still not that old I mean god he's what 50 something like that yeah, it's still going, yeah, and, he's, and he's just, I, I, I yeah, he was amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. Around. yeah, did you see the Layman trilogy at the National Theatre? <laughs> no, I didn't. Oh, mate, <laughs> it was just, I mean, it's hopefully be on NT Live at home at some point. You might be able to stream it, but that was just one of the most amazing shows I think I've ever seen. Just have Simon Russell Beale and uh, oh, I can't remember the other two's name. Adrian Lester and somebody, and Kieran. I think it's uh, the original was Adam Godley and uh, <laughs> Adam Godley, Adrian Lester, and somebody else, wasn't it? Yeah, he's been in the crown. If you're listening, mate, I do apologise. Uh, but uh, it was, yeah, that that show was just incredible. And uh, I know Adrian Lester did it on Broadway recently with Simon and Adam. Oh right, okay, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, again, it's just another masterclass in directing. You know, with Sam, it's just and the fact that you got to work with him twice. We'll say twice on this it was just yeah. incredible yeah it's just funny because i think in that cast where you was i think eddie redmayne was in that cast with you as well because i think he yeah and at the palladium yeah they're very young eddie redmayne. Yeah, so eddie was eddie was yeah I, I remember eddie um so when when i did oliver at the plane when i was 14 there were two casts of kids at the time because what would happen is kids would come in for like a three-month period because it was all to do with child labour laws and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. And then they'd re- re-rehearse a new group of kids. So we were the third group of kids to come in. So apparently the first group that did it when it first opened were called North and South. Mm-hmm. And then they went, next group was East and West. And I was North 2 mm-hmm. and South 2. So they had like an, another North and South. And we were that group. 
So I was in Fagin's gang in North and Eddie played the bookseller boy in South. So we did cross paths mm. in rehearsals, but then once the show was on, we went, I've got a feeling he came in and did the show like one night because for whatever reason, the kid who was playing the bookseller boy couldn't do it one night. So Eddie came and did it with our cast. Mm. So yeah, but I, I remember him. And then I, I'd met him a few times before his kind of major success. Um, you know, out and about when we were sort of, because we're similar age and, you know, he was doing stuff and I was doing stuff. And I think we've auditioned for stuff that he got work over me. And I think I got a job over him once. And then, you know, when we were younger and um, yeah, he, he he went on to win an Oscar. Yeah. So, yeah. I remember him saying that on Graham Norton, actually, that he said exactly the same thing as you he said. I put Oliver in my CV and I worked with Sam Mendes. I didn't know if I actually met him while I worked on that experience, but so he, so he did exactly the same thing. And, uh, you know, it's so cool that Sam just said, yeah, keep it on there, mate. You know, you're part of the, you're part of the production, which I was yeah, involved yeah, with as well. It's cool. it's cool. Yeah. So yeah, I just got a few more questions um, for you. I think as actors, you know, we, the best sort of way to start work is to get an agent. And, um, you know, you have, you're being represented by one of the top agents in the country. Um, what's, what's the best way just to get an agent? Is it just simply to obviously be passionate about what you do? Of course, you know, passionate about acting, about seeing whatever it is. Um, what, what's the best advice you can give to creating a good impression with an agent and to make a good impression? Well, obviously, an agent is going to take you on because they've seen something that they feel like they can work with, represent and create work for. But it's hard sometimes to it's about the opportunity that you get. And obviously, being at drama school, you're going to be in a situation where you're going to do showcases and hopefully there's going to be a, an agent who's going to come and see you. And it's all about chance. I mean. It's a business and you've got to keep on at people and but not go on at people there's a difference between keeping on and going on you know yeah. um and there's a lot of agents out there and some are good and some are useless you know or or just not connected to the people that you want to be seen by and mm. um, it's just a real i mean i think with agents the best bit of advice I can give anybody is knowledge. If you know who they are and you keep an eye on what they're doing and who they represent, then you have given yourself the best opportunity of potentially ending up with one of them. Because if you don't know who they are and you don't know they exist, then how are you ever gonna potentially be presented in front of them? Mm you know, you could end up getting a really good job from an open audition. Mm. But if you don't know who the agents are and you don't invite them, then you're not going to end up with, do you, do you know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah. You've got, I think it's, it's a case of, for an actor, I think it's an actor's job to know who everyone's within reason represented by. Like, who are the best agents out there? And mm. why are they, who have they got? because you never know, you might need somebody. I think there's a real tendency, especially in this country, in the mm. UK, to sort of play it cool and not over and not become over mm -hmm. um, needy or, and I think 
sometimes that's a bit of a bum steer because I feel like it's a business at the end of the day. Mm. All my mates who are doing really well, who've got a good agent, have got a good agent and are doing really well because they made it happen. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. There's some people who it just happens for because they are lucky. You know, they've got parents who are actors or producers or they it's usually because they know somebody mm. you know somebody if you're connected because of your connections in life whether you're born into a into the world with 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 very rich successful parents and you go to a certain school where you know i mean there's no coincidence you know this is a miss me trying not to bring out my chip on my shoulder my working class chip but you know if you're if you're lucky enough to be able to go to Eton or one of those schools, I mean, for example, Eton has just produced the amount of actors. If you put the ratio of how many actors it's produced that have, I mean, apart from we're not even going to talk about the amount of prime ministers it's produced, but the <laughs> amount of actors it's produced. Quite a few. It's quite a few. And then you look at like schools that special, you know, random schools around the country that specialize in sports. So they, they, they pride themselves on the fact that they've got a really good rugby team. So they invest in that. They put, you know, they make sure they get the right coaches in that they've got the right facilities to, for kids to train. And they put scholarship situations together so that, you know, if it's a privately funded school so that you can go to that school because you're good at that sport Whereas Eton have got two fully functional auditoriums and apparently they've just set up a film course. Wow. Why bother going to drama school? When very good question. When if you've if you've got parents who are probably, if they're sending you to Eton, they could probably put a call in to whoever and say, We come and see my lad or my daughter at at this at this institution and Mm. see what you think and you know so then you put that in you flip that on its head and go you've got some kid who's from I don't know some working class city from the northeast or something and has been to local youth group that's free and has quite a lot of talent and then gets an audition for a drama school in London and has to self-fund the train fare and get themselves down and get get in and then how the hell am I going to afford to do this and they go to the drama school because they get a local grant and they get a student loan and they're skint when they leave and then they've got to find themselves doing a showcase and they get an agent out of the back of that showcase and the agent starts putting them up for stuff and they get start getting work and then they get a massive tv show and they find themselves on the tv show with somebody who went to Eton mm who went to a school. I mean, it's just, how, do, how does one get an agent? There's, there's, I think my point is, is that there is no rhyme nor reason to it. Yeah. You can either be connect, you, like now, I like to think that because of my career and because of my connections, I could put a few calls in if I, if I ever needed to yeah. look around or my agent, something happened and, and they needed to shut the, shut the office. And that. But that's because I'm connected now. But when I was 21, I didn't have those connections. When I was 22, I got my agent because I'd been to GSA and I got cast in our house 
and I did our house and then I finished that and then I went and did another little job for a bit and then I got cast in a production of Brighton Rock at the Almeida playing the lead which the Almeida was like one of the coolest theatres in the world to work at mm. and the director of it said you need to get a new agent and he put a call in for me to four or five agents and half an hour later called me back with four meetings with the four of the top agents in the country and Mm. and that's how I signed with with the agent that I'm with now and I've been with them for 20 years 18 19 years you know wow so that's how I did that I mean but the chances are would an agent like mine show up to every drama school showcase probably not and that's not because they're rude or because they they just haven't got time and they mm. might not necessarily be looking to take on busy. they might take on two three people a year mm. maybe might, might not take anybody on you just don't know how it works it, there's no rhyme nor reason to it so you could have you could be lucky enough that your mum's best mate is a manager at a massive independent united agents mm. yeah i'll take i'll take bobby on and start putting him up for stuff because I saw him in that school production. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or you you sign with a run-of-the-mill agent and just start going up for stuff and see what catches. You know, it's really tricky. But the one thing I will say, which is what I said before, is you've got to have a knowledge of who's who. You know? Google is your friend. Get on Google. Look up all your favourite actors and actresses and find out who they're with and it will soon start to fall into place oh i get it there's about 10 to 20 agents that all look after the people who are doing really well and make those people part of your the the names of those agents part of your lexicon so that you know who they are yeah that's great that's great advice man i think that's sort of touching on just advice for actors like leaving drama school and you touched on it already but just like the the drive and everything and just keep working and keep at it, you know? And yeah, it's, it's a, it's a really interesting one that because, you know, we all suffer with motivational. I do. I have days where I go, what, what, what's the point? Mm. Didn't get that job today. (laughs) Shit. (laughs) Just want to go go to the pub and drown in my sorrow. But then this is a business, you know, if you are a builder, and you want work, you've got to go and do a good job for people, which will generate more work and maybe put a sign outside your building site so that people driving past might catch a glimpse of the number and take it down. And oh, that's a, they're doing good work in a good area. And, and you've got to show up with the right tools to be able to complete the work. Mm. So if you're a musical theatre actor, Go and see musicals. Go and see everything. Mm. Go to the theatre. Go and be a sponge. Take in everything, whether it's good or bad. Go to singing lessons. Go to masterclasses. Go and listen to people talk. Consume every part of this world that you want to work in. You know, you'd be pretty pissed off if a if a chippy showed up to fix your 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 you know build you a a banister on your uh, you know staircase and they, and they were like oh well I'm, I've sort of got a knowledge about how woodwork works yeah do you know what I mean I'd be like get out I don't want you here <laughs> exactly 
Whereas being an actor, you've got to be so aware of what it is that you're about to go into. You can't go, well, I, I want to be in musicals. Yeah, I've, I've seen Wicked, <laughs> you know? And we and I hear that and say, you know, I've sat on drama school. Yeah, now, yeah. When I've auditioned at drama schools and, and gone in and, and you do hear that from people. You go, what the, just what you, you saw Wicked and that's why you want to be, well, what else? What other knowledge have you got of, you know, and that's great that a show like Wicked can inspire one person, but but go and find out about other stuff, you know. Um, so you've got to just have this kind of drive and not, I mean, look, today it's Saturday. I'm not thinking about the business. I've got lots of lines to learn for a series that I start in a few weeks. Um, but I'm not looking at it today because it's my day off. Hmm. But when it's when it's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I'll probably a lot a certain amount of the, of the day where I might sit down and look at my script and do the work, you know. Um, yeah. So I suppose without wanting to come across as sort of, you know, arrogant, it's like the reason why I'm I'm doing what I do is because I work my ass off. Yeah. You know. Yeah, absolutely. When, when I'm working, I, I really work, I work hard at doing what I do. Yeah. Um, and I think there's a lot of actors out there who have this sense of entitlement mm. that they just expect it's going to happen for them. Yeah. I, I agree. Totally agree. You know, they, they, some people literally expect that they're going to get the lead in a Marvel film. Absolutely, they do. And that's what their career is going to be, that they're going to be like Robert Downey Jr. or they're mm. going to be like Tom Hiddleston or you know, mm. because for some reason, being in a Marvel film seems to be the kind of pinnacle of being an actor at the moment. But that's not realistic. You know, whether it's doing children's theatre or TIE or um, writing your own show or stand-up or going up to the Edinburgh Festival or getting cast in Les Mis or Hamilton or the yeah. RSC, it's work and you've got to be there and show up and be ready to, or panto every year, you know, yeah. that's being an actor. That's, and, and having a knowledge of what's happening in the world, you know? There you go. So that's, that's my advice, I suppose. No, that's fantastic, man. Thank you so much for that. And I suppose to finish, just one final question for you today is throughout your just, incredible career and it's been a genuine pleasure to hear your advice and your experiences and everything today so thank you so much for that um but what what's been an experience um, to, well, to date what's been the an experience you've had across film tv theater or any sort of creative platform that you'll never ever forget it's a hard question really i mean i've been very lucky there's a lot of things that it can be more than one it can be more than one thing yeah yeah well obviously being in hamilton and um my f being in our house, you know, for taking final bow on the first night of our house was just insane mm. in a big West End theater and taking the final bow and going, Christ, I'm the lead in this show. Um, touring the world with the RSC. I mean, I've been up in airplanes, like not just as a passenger, but like acting in open cockpit airplanes. I did a movie called Flyboys. That was an insane experience. Mm. Um, getting to be in Star Wars. Yeah. 
<laughs> and the other day, I was a jobbing actor. I'd said three lines, but I got to be in Star Wars. Um, yeah. You know, just going to walking down the red carpet, 1917, that was cool. Having my little girl come and see me do stuff. You know, it's it's all it all mixes into one, mm. you know, down to like getting the call from your agent so you got the job. That's still cool. Yeah. Get an offer, you got the job, they want you to do it. I mean, that's always so exciting when you get that. Um, mm. You know, even down to like doing like last in in the pan the beginnings of the pandemic. You know, summer twenty twenty, me and my wife went and did Camelot at the watermill open air as a kind of try and get the theatre going kind of thing. And mm. we were one of the first productions to, and that was incredible. To you know, we did this. We rehearsed Camelot in three days, and. Oof. And we did it with, with, it was like a concert performance of it for about a month with books in our hands. But, but it was amazing. You know, it was really, really like thrown together last minute, actor muso, me and my wife were Arthur and Guinevere and, and another actor was Lancelot. And then a kind of ensemble of actor musicians with us. And we just had the best summer. We yeah. were down in Newbury, we were working. I wasn't earning much money, but it didn't matter. We were getting a theatre. We were getting theatre going again, and it was in the middle of a pandemic. Yeah, and we gave something to an audience. You know, that was an incredible experience. Um, yeah, there's there's been lots. I love what I do. I find it hard at times. I find it tough when the thing that I find tough is when is the disrespect that comes with this industry. First of all, from people who know nothing about this industry and they, they just assume you're an idiot because you're an actor. Um, and, and sometimes the disrespect that you get in terms of they don't, the people who work in this industry who just expect so much of you when they give you auditions at the last minute and expect you to learn all this material with like two days to do it. And the stress that can put you under when you've just suddenly got to drop everything and read a script and learn pages and pages of dialogue and go into a room and do a good meeting. Mm. And then you don't get any sort of feedback or I find that really, really tough sometimes. Yeah. Um, and I just say, thank you very much. We'll be in touch. And that's it. Yeah. And that happens all the time. And that's something that, comes with this industry unfortunately that you've got to create this quite thick skin yeah be able to just forget about it once the i try and forget about the audition once i've done it really um not not once i've been told it wasn't it didn't go my way because on paper it looks like i i never stopped working which luckily i i do work a lot but for the for the 10 auditions that i get that i go for nine of them eight of them i don't get Mm. You know, it looks like I'm always getting work, whereas I've auditioned for so much stuff this year, which didn't go my way, you know, or that I nearly got. And mm. they went with somebody else and, the, you know, I could taste it. Um, there was one a few years ago that really was hard. It was the, I mean, I can talk about it now because it didn't happen in the end. They, they yeah. It was the first spin-off of Game of Thrones that they made. Oh, yeah. Um, which they made the pilot for. And then they, I think, they cancelled it they've they've since made another one there's this new one called the house of the dragon which they've shot a whole series and i've got friends in it yeah that original spin-off i auditioned for that and i was on hold for months like it was going to go my way and then they went with somebody who was more famous than me 
Um, and that was hard, you know, because you sort of, you, you can smell it. Yeah, I'm going to be in this show and it's going to be great. And and then it didn't happen, you know. There's been a couple of other near misses and stuff, you know, but that's 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 part of our job is to, you know, is to be, we call ourselves professional actors, but 50% of the time we're professional auditioners. <laughs> you know, that's that's my job a lot of the time is learning lines for for incredible parts and scenes that I'll never do. Yeah, I do them in a self tape in my front room, or I go into an audition and the casting director gets to see me nail it, but I'm not right for it. Hmm. You know, and I yeah, interesting. It's almost like you're a very good piece, but you don't fit the jigsaw. In in, in exactly, in... yeah, it's a really good way of putting it actually. Yeah, but um. But, you know, there's no doubting of your talent at all. And I think just that perseverance to keep going, I think, is absolutely right. And, uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, Mike, thank you so, so much for this. Thank is... you. Good luck with it. What, what, where are you at then? Now, you're in Guildford, obviously. But um, are you are you in your digs then at the moment in Guildford? Yeah, I'm a student digs. Yeah, yeah. I'm... Is that well, on site at the university? Then? Yeah, yeah. I'm on, on student accommodation again for another year. I've been here since September. So rediscovering what it's like for my 18 year old self again <laughs> how's that how is life on in where is it stag hill or something like that yeah, stag hill stag hill campus i'm just up the up the hill actually from stag hill reception so we've got the library literally just about 200 feet away which is pretty cool uh <laughs> i don't even go in it but <laughs> i need to print stuff off but yeah it's it's good it's been uh it's been a very good very good year um and we're doing our shows then we'll have our showcase and then we're going into our independent projects and stuff um i'm thinking about doing a one-man show which i can do there and potentially take elsewhere um yeah but it's it's been a very good year i've learned so much about myself and the craft and you know working with yourself was in it's very unusual with that you know casino nightclub i can say to people now i never thought when i came to guildford i'd say I spent an entire weekend in in, in the casino nightclub. <laughs> and, I know, I know. And it was uh, it, it was, was a fun shoot. Proper, proper nasty nightclub that place with this stank of sticky booze everywhere. And there's a Jaeger Jaegermeister in the car. Did you enjoy it? The experience of working on that short film. Oh yeah, mate! I absolutely loved it. And uh, you know, it's a credit for the CV and everything. And to another director worked with JJ Abrams on Star Wars and yeah. stuff like that. So make connections there and. Got you know, and I think one piece, very good piece of advice I got from like, like yourself and from drama school in general is just take those opportunities. You know, yeah. e even if the work is not paid, just get it, just do it. Yeah, yeah, the experience, and that was involved, and that's why it was great for the for those of you that were able to make it was, yeah, was that you got to experience. You know, it was a bit boring. You got free wagamamas, I know that, and yeah. you, <laughs> you got to hang out and see what it was like on a working set, and and also yeah. got to you know work with us and and see us do our acting and see a bit of the process that we went through and yeah. the questions that we had for the creatives and the way that we, you know, we took it seriously. We had to sort of take control of it. And, you know, those young actors that were on the set with you, they're all really successful young actors who are popping up on great, great TV shows and whatnot at the moment. So, yeah, it was it was a cool thing. And hopefully a great motivation for you guys to go, wow, I could do this as well, you know, properly. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was, I've was i been very lucky to work as an extra on stuff. I've done Silent Witness. I've done um, EastEnders. I've done a few projects like that. So I was familiar with the sets environment and everything and the yeah and uh you know it is you know as you say it was a bit of you have to be patient because there's a lot of time setting up shots and 
things like that. But it was just an incredible experience. And of course, we got to work with uh, the great, um, uh, the son of Andy Circus. I've forgotten his name. Um, Louis. Louis. Louis Circus. It was a joy to talk to. And I said to him, like, probably you, you probably get this all the time, but I'm a massive fan of your dad. <laughs> he was like, oh, thanks, man. And stuff like that. And he was just a lovely boy. And uh, you know, you had we some. We worked together before. We did, we did a drama together earlier on last year. So yeah, he's a good guy. Yeah. Cool. All right, mate. Well, thank you for having me on. And I hope this is a success for you. It's great that you're doing this. I mean, that you get to talk to people and yeah, absolutely really inspire others by people listening in, anybody who's tuning in. I absolutely. hope you're enjoying this and um, thanks for listening. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, just, just one last thing I'll say. Um, I just want to say, Mike, thank you for organising that as well. It was very kind of you to think of, oh, we've got guys in GSA, give them experience and everything yeah, is great. No, 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 no problem. It was great. It's great to see yeah. you all and just to kind of, you know, to have you there really. You know, it made perfect sense. Why don't we just, it was a shame because it was Mother's Day and I think a lot of people who wanted to come couldn't come because of, you know, commitments to mums yeah um, going home and things like that but yeah it was um it was great the guys that showed up so thank you for coming yeah and just one just finally before i let you go just today's just been so much fun and it's a credit to your your openness your honesty and not only that but your talent and your amazing career and i feel really really honored to be to say that you you've been on my show and it's been a genuine pleasure cool. no problem yeah, if, you, if you just just hang on I'll, I'll end the recording now if you just hang on i'll say goodbye to you one-on-one and uh but yeah guys thank you so much for watching thank you for listening this has been the uncensored critic podcast and once again mr mike gibson thank you so much sir thank you